We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. where we look at all the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Craig, a foremost kissing expert. Wait, villainy expert. <laughs> Man, uh, I oh, thought I had... Uh, you've gone in so far without like messing that yeah, up. Yeah, it's only, been like a, it's only been like a week and a bit since our last recording. I, I can go many months in room, but I can't go a couple couple of days just it's a new job it's throwing you off exactly there's too much kissing going you're gonna on. have to quit <laughs> <laughs> see you later yeah oh. back to your old retail gig with the <laughs> crazy hours um anyways we're here to talk about best villain 2010 uh oh, how are you ben i'm doing really really well uh i pretty much had to uh cram all these movies into the last couple of days which is usually pretty typical um i actually watched harry potter at work today just in another tab um yeah uh it definitely is gonna it definitely is gonna i think i i'll get into it when we talk about it but i think my next harry potter things i want to try and really get into it and get invested um i want to like fully immerse myself um but yeah, no. Uh, other than that, you know, I'm a busy guy, but not too busy that I can't watch five movies at two times speed. Uh, even though I've already seen a good chunk of these ones before. Yeah. How? I mean, yes. Well, not not getting too far into next week's territory, but arguably for next week, you only have to watch like 15 minutes worth of Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. That's how long the winner for that year is in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's all very concentrated. <laughs> yeah, this weird this is a weird year. I, I guess I don't really keep track of it that much, but um it feels like like this this week in particular, just a feeling I get is that there's a lot of like villains that are kind of taking a backseat to other elements. I don't know if that's the case, or maybe we just got, like, we got a decent chunk of movies last week, or uh, two weeks ago, for when we did 2008, uh, like, one week for us, two weeks for you guys, maybe, um, where we had, like, No Country for Old Men and American Gangster, where, and Sweeney Todd, where it felt like the villains were, like, the character, and then to come into this week where, like, the villains are, like, more of an afterthought to, like, the the setting, or the, or the, you know, the world... Yeah, I mean, I can look at these villains, and I think pretty much all of them, I can go, yeah, no, that, that makes sense that it was nominated just based on my knowledge of the year, but yeah, with, I think, the exception of, like, one of them, really, and even the ones where, like, the villains are kind of a big part of it, there's just, like, there's a lot going on in those movies, um. 
Yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, uh, but first we'll say the 2010 MTV Movie Awards were hosted, yeah, took place on June 6, 2010. Um, Aziz Ansari hosted. Yeah. The nominees, yeah, voting began in March and ended in April, which, which is pretty early for them uh, as a th- thing, which in recent years, it seems that pretty much if a movie comes out before the end of April, it can kind of get in. Okay. A nice little technicality. Yeah, like how we've... Like, literally, all the mo- of the movies we covered for Best Kiss this year, I think three, maybe even four of them, because Euphoria was, I think, kind of a January thing. But, like, a lot of them came out, like, this calendar year, except for, like, Spider-Man, really. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the show gained some controversy for constantly using the term fuck and its derivatives by its presenters and... Peter Fascinelli, who accepted the Best Movie Award. Uh, P- Peter Fascinelli plays kind of Edward's adopted dad on Twilight. Oh. <laughs> okay, that makes a little that makes a little more sense. But they're dropping a lot of F-bombs this year, apparently, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia has a quote from Parents Television Council President Tim Winter, who responded to the program's TV 14 rating, stating... It is an outrage to the content rating system. If it had been a motion picture, it would have been rated R. <laughs> the fact that it was rated 14 shows what little respect MTV and Viacom have for the content ratings. <laughs> um, ironically, where we live in Canada, many R films are just 14A movies. Like yeah, it's a little confusing. It's just like, I don't know, I guess like if, like movies really can only be so awful, you know? Like, uh... And I feel like a lot of ones that get R, like when I was a kid and I saw a movie was rated R, like I thought that like it was a huge deal. But usually just means that there's like an F word or like a boob in it. And it's usually not that bad. Uh, more than one F word. If you oh, have yeah. one F bomb in your like PG-13 film, but, but yeah, I think this also like in, in Canada, the ratings are just like different. And I finally like accepted where I'm like, oh, reason many R's are like 14A here is because it's literally just a different system. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Yeah. But, wow. Twilight Saga New Moon won Best Movie over four <laughs> four of the Best Villain nominees. Yeah, I was about to say. Also, yeah, that's... Huh, how strange. Man, I guess it makes sense. This was during the, uh, the Twilight Sweep Saga um, of Best Kiss at yeah. the very least. Like, you know. Yeah. Twilight wins kind of a lot of awards here. It, yeah. Um, just kind of do, doing a scan through all this. It's definitely, like, we are now kind of in the point where the awards are, like, heavily weighted towards different fandoms. Like, you, you know, you have your Twilights, your Harry Potters, like, it's honestly impressive Avatar got in through stuff, but even doing a scan, like people like Shannon Tatum and getting nominated for Dear John, or... Yeah. Anna Kendrick yeah. won Best Breakout Star for Up in the Air. We're like, oh, that's kind of like... Un- 
unexpected a bit, but I guess she also was in the Twilight movie, so maybe she benefited from that. Like it's Yeah, oh man, it is yeah. The kind of that this was the definitely the era of Twilight. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, this is also the year of Night Museum Battle of the Smithsonian. What a weird thing to get nominated in one place and nowhere else. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is a weird place to go for it. Sorry, I uh, got kind of looking at best community yeah, performance, it's just the, which is like the oh, hangover, the proposal, and Night Museum Battle of the Smithsonian. Yeah. <laughs> so, best community performance one where like they don't. There's just a year kind of looking where they apparently just did not do it in 2013, but then it's back in like 2014 where it's like, huh. So years where they just did not do do it. I guess it's oh, nothing it's nothing funny happened, I guess. What are yeah, what are some twenty thirteen movies? Or I guess it would be movies in twenty twelve, right? Yeah. Look. I oh. mean <laughs> we're gonna get to that yeah. in tw- our twenty thirteen episode, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if there's one thing we're known for, it's never getting derailed. Never. In these... Also, I, I tried to look up, like, movie 2012, and then I got, like, the movie 2012 from 2009. Um, um Ted. <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook. Just... Oh, those are... Well, not Silver Linings Playbook. Ted's a pretty funny movie. I don't know why they didn't... It didn't get in. Why there was just nothing... Nothing funny to be had that year. Maybe, maybe they had a different thing. Kick-Ass 2, I'm sure had some last... Oh, Magic Mike! Oops. Oh, yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me, uh, former guest Shane has told me we have to find a way to cover Magic Mike XL or XXL, like, whatever the second Magic Mike is, because apparently it is a Ben picture. Ooh, I love... I love me a good Ben picture. Maybe it could be, uh... So I know we talked about, about doing maybe, uh... A villain episode in the future like another host choice where the villains are like more abstract like concepts um maybe i'll we'll give the movie a watch and maybe maybe we'll find we'll find something that we'll find maybe there's an abstract concept yeah (laughs) maybe maybe the villain is you know you know the crushing weight of expectations or you know who knows what it might be yeah i guess we'd have to watch that movie first but yeah, we can figure this out. Um, oh yeah, and then Pitch Perfect, another comedy, um, the campaign with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis. Like, yeah, it feels like you probably could have come up with you, something. You could have had something, but I guess that you know what they did have best shirtless performance that year. I feel like they they maybe they just needed to make room and like best comedic performance could get cut. Yeah. Um, oh, they gave Will Ferrell the Comedic Genius Award. Oh well, there you oh, go. Yeah. Famously, that's the one that Aubrey Plaza tried to steal, like, just on stage. (laughs) So that's your preview of 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, anything else here? Yeah. Um, When Sandra Bullock won the MTV Generation Award, she discussed her divorce and the fact that no one needed to worry about her and then after that she kissed Scarlett Johansson okay <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know yeah, yeah. she's doing well okay. oh 
Robert Pattinson won the Global Superstar Award over Taylor yeah. Lautner, Johnny Depp, Daniel Radcliffe, <laughs> and Kristen Stewart. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That feels like a one-off one day. I was trying to figure out Global Superstar. Yeah, cool. I guess. Yeah, I guess this year it would have been. It would have been yeah, Daniel Radcliffe for Harry Potter, Johnny Depp. I'm assuming for Alice in Wonderland, and then everyone else for Twilight. But I guess what did they, yeah, what everything they had up everything they had up to that point though that's weird I don't know I need to look into all of their their things yeah um but for now I think we can get into best villain um, yeah yeah so for best villain in 2010 the nominees are Helena Bonham Carter Alice in Wonderland Ken Jeong The Hangover Stephen Lang Avatar, Christoph Waltz, Inglorious Bastards, and the winner, Tom Felton, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So I gotta say, say I had not watched this movie in like a very long time, like over 10 years, and honestly, maybe one of the better Harry Potter films. Oh man, yeah, um, oh, this is, you know what, I'll give this movie credit. I feel like I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan, and I'm less of a fan now that I've had to watch it so many times in so much close proximity. Um, but you know what? This one is still like rather enjoyable. Um, I think this is one of the last ones I actually saw in theaters because uh, I'll, I'll never forget like the scene when they're in like the big water underground water place, and there's like a jump scare, mainly because there was a jump scare, and that like really scared me um yeah but like oh i would be lying if i said i'm not going through severe potter fatigue um with this list which is why i feel like you know what for the next week for just uh for you know harry potter uh the deadly hollows part one i'm just gonna try and sit down you know get some popcorn get some soda and i'm just gonna try and sit down and enjoy this movie thoroughly and give it a fair shake you know I know that, you know, the way that God intended for people to watch movies is on their second monitor at work. Um, but, you know, I feel like that, I feel like I, I'd be remiss to say if that didn't dampen my experience of the Half-Blood Prince. Um, but with that, I still rather enjoyed it. It was still super fun. Um, I remember so many scenes from this movie just because of that one edit someone did where they, they turned into like a they turned it into like a teen comedy trailer and like put a bunch of like fun upbeat music to it and like had a bunch of like scenes with like you know like music cuts and stuff like that um so like so many scenes in this movie that are just like plucked right out of that that because that was such a memorable little edit someone made oh wow i've never seen that but i guess that makes sense i remember this is the one where in publicity you're like yeah th- this is like a rom-com and it is i'll say part of the reason i like this is my issue, one of my issues with the Harry Potter movies is that I think the juice of those books is kind of the slice of life school stuff that unfortunately is always kind of what gets cut first when the movies get made because they're very long books and you don't have room for everything. But the way Half-Life Prince is structured, you kind of have to include a lot of like slice of life school stuff because a good chunk of the plot is him trying to build up like trust with kind of Slughorn and then just getting into antics because of that. 
And then also it's the year where they're like, oh yeah, this is our big romance one, which is funny that this didn't get a Best Kiss nomination at all. Wait, did this one not get a Best Kiss nomination at all? No. No. We not- oh, wait. This is... was th- This might have been the Harry Potter that I watched in preparation to kind of fill the gaps. This was the one that didn't get it, wasn't it? Oh right, my gosh. Yeah. Order of the Phoenix gets nominated. Huh. And then, if you'll remember, Deathly Hollows Part 1 gets nominated for a kiss between, like, Ron's nightmare hallucinations <laughs> of Harry and Hermione. <laughs> yeah, that one's... What a... Oh, man. I feel like it... And then this movie, which has, like, a sweet kiss, like, just gets snubbed. Like... Yeah, well, that's what made me think. I was like, well, A, I've seen this movie, and B, there's a kiss in it, so it must be on the list. Those are, like, the the odds that it isn't are so are so few and far between. Um, <laughs> oh man yeah no like that's it's such a I feel like Harry Potter I feel like it's been so long since I've seen like the first three movies it has been a criminal amount of time uh, since I've just seen the first one and I feel like I just need to I want to just like sit down and revisit these ones so I feel like you know maybe that'll cure some of my Potter fatigue um, you know I wonder you know it's it might be crazy, but watching these movies in order, maybe not all in one sitting, but just in order, like once before I can never watch it again, might be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that might go. I'll say, I remember I was a big fan of like these books and movies, and then in, tw- I think it was 20, or, no, it had to have been like 2012, because yeah, all the movies were out by that point. But me and my friends, one May long weekend, did kind of a marathon of all of them. And by that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this out of my system for a while. And then it took me years to get back to some of those films. Like, pretty much until we started doing this podcast, I, I think, for most of them. But So, yeah, sometimes you just need to kind of watch them all through in order and just get it out of your system. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, sorry, go on. The, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna, so, the book version of this, this is kind of the only Harry Potter one where, well, because I did not start reading these books until around kind of the fourth one that was there, and then Order of Phoenix was like kind of a report card present for me, and then Half-Blood Prince was the one where I'm like, okay, I'm invested in this, like, this is it. Uh, and then, so me and kind of my best friend at the time made plans to, like, sleep over, and then we were going to go to, like, the bookstore and be part of the release party and just kind of get our copies there. And then our f- friend's mom, very shrewdly, um, just uh, back for the time, like, figured out that kind of the Max convenience store, which was just down the road, was also going to have copies of the book, which they also were going to start selling at midnight. So, like, she said, so she's like, look, you can go to this, like, thing, and you're going to have to stand in line a long time, and there's going to be all this, like, nonsense to get to the books. Or, we can stay here, you can do whatever you want, want until, like, close to midnight, then we'll just drive down to this convenience store, and you can get these books, and have them way quicker than anyone else at that party. And we're like, yeah, no, that makes sense, let's do it. So... So it's one where I'm like, oh yeah, I was there for the midnight release of Half-Blood Prince, but also it's just we ran into like a convenience store at midnight. The guy's like, yeah, I know, here's your books. Like, so 
guess, life hack for if you live near a convenience store that also sells books for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget that one. <laughs> yeah. In retrospect, I'm like, why was, like, the convenience store selling Harry Potter books? But I'm like, I guess it was, like, just that big a deal at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and then this movie, this was another classic uh, summer camp picture where, except this time, unlike The Dark Knight, which I think I, I get in a bit of detail of the painstaking efforts of me trying to see that film in 2008 with almost no, no money to my name and, like, no car, but... Uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, that one was actually kind of an event where people made plans to kind of go see that one on a night off, and me and one of the counselors who were at the, the camp that year, uh, Lockie from Australia, we made an unbreakable vow that we would see the movie together. So the, so the plan was kind of made around that, but then somehow, or for practical reasons, I wound up kind of in a car with um, other friends of mine, but it was like, basically, one person who was a big Harry Potter fan, but a fan in a way where she's like, this movie's gonna be bad because it's going to, like, deviate from the book so much. Then her boyfriend, who didn't care at all about, like, Harry Potter, it was just kind of there. And then two other friends of mine who also were not really interested in Harry Potter, they just wanted to, like, you know, go because that's what everyone was doing. But by the time we got to the theater, we had we had gotten a bit diverted and were behind everyone. So we kind of got there and had our tickets. And they're like, well, look, the movie has already kind of started. And you'll miss the first couple of minutes. We can still go to this one. And then almost all of them were like, well, we'll just go to the next one. And me just wanting to, like, get... Because, you know, you look at the vibes of that and... They were all my friends. I'm like, I don't want to see this movie with these people. So I'm like, I, I'm like, I'll, I'll miss the first couple minutes. It's fine. And literally all we, all they would have missed was just the bridge destruction. But I got to watch it with all my other friends, including the one I made the unbreakable vow with, who were actually excited about the movie and had a great time. <laughs> nice. Fun. Yeah. Oh, I don't recall my, uh, my time seeing this at all. <laughs> You're like, I don't know, was that the Duke Cinemas? Yep. I was ten? It was theater four. I remember that much at the very least. But I you know wow. even if I was wrong, I have a twenty five percent chance of getting it right because there is only four theaters. <laughs> yeah. It was cheaper than a regular theater. Exactly. <laughs> My dad was probably there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I don't have a yeah, I don't have a super big connection to these movies. Um, there are some things that I like that. So the things that I always enjoy about it is that I always realize that no matter how many times I watch these, I always really enjoy Dumbledore just as a character in general. I don't think that's a. I, I understand that's maybe a hot take and always one of the lesser popular characters in the Harry Potter dumb. Uh, but I really, I really like Dumbledore. I think he's neat. <laughs> he's just i don't know it's just like it's one of those things where it's it's just it's very it's not like super super in depth he's just sort of like an old mentor but he just i don't know he does a good job i isn't it like a thing where like he's like a different actor like a couple of times like he's been his cat he's been recasted a couple times yeah so what originally happened with 
Dumbledore, um, was for the first two movies, he is played by Richard Harris, and then Richard Harris passed away, so he was unable to kind of play the role, so they recast as Michael Gambon, who was kind of younger, and then honestly probably more capable of doing the, like, physical stuff that Dumbledore is increasingly called upon to do, mostly in this movie, but the last one as well. Um, Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then... And then the other big thing with Dumbledore for this is this is famously the film that where because this was the first movie to come out after the books had ended um, and in in the run up to the this this is where J.K. Rowling gives an interview where she's like like yeah no Dumbledore's gay. They, like, had a big scene where he was going on about his past loves, and I crossed it out and I wrote, he's gay. And it was sort of the first time that she was revealing information about the wizarding world after the fact. Oh, yeah. And, I know there was a yeah. couple. There's a lot of revisions about that I remember hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, everyone was kind of like, oh, okay, it's kind of weird this never came up in the books, but yeah, sure. And then... As she kept doing it, people got more frustrated with it. Um, well, some people did. I'm sure there's some who just ate up every detail, but this is getting into stuff where she's like, like, oh yeah, they didn't used to have bathrooms, they just like soil themselves and then make it disappear. <laughs> That's the one I remember. <laughs> listen. Yeah, this is the one where we're like, okay, Joanne, yeah. you can stop. Like, J.K. Rowling has bad political opinions. Uh, but that is objectively the funniest retcon ever, is that wizards just shit themselves. Um, I, <laughs> like, I think, you know, I think that is a good, uh, I think any, you know, lead creator of something um, has the right, nay, the duty to ruin it every single time. Um because like at the end of the day it's like it's all fiction like it's all just like things they made up anyway um but i do like i like the idea of like the lead writer of something or like the head honcho of everything just just like making things objectively worse um i really enjoy it i think it's funny like every time um like i you know i'm very much a i'm a big proponent of uh let directors and let like people like that do whatever they want um because it's either going to be magnificent or it's going to be so awful it's amazing and the worst stuff is the stuff in the middle probably i don't even know if that's true um but like yeah like i i'm never opposed to that stuff like that is how you get that um uh, i think george lucas's son is like a jedi in the prequels and he just looks very funny he just has like a like a rat tail <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, they couldn't have long hair. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't. So this would be the movie. This would be the first movie that came out where we knew Dumbledore was gay and shits himself. I mean, like to clear this up. By the time of Harry Potter, they had plumbing. Literally, the whole second book, a big set piece involves like a secret lair that's accessed through like toilets like <laughs> <laughs> but dumbledore is old though he must have been around for that era 
Well, so yeah, that's another thing I like about this movie, seeing kind of like young Dumbledore, or younger Dumbledore, and like his little shorter hair, and like a neat little neat little outfit. I just really like that, and it's cute. I don't know, I'm like, that doesn't look like Jude Law. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. But no, all the flashback stuff is good. But I'll say, Tom Felton, it's funny because it does make sense as a villain nomination because this is the movie where they kind of go in on, okay, Draco Malfoy, like, even the book has, like, that scene that's set up where it's like, okay, Snape is is bad, Draco is, like, bad, or, like, Draco's bad and Snape is supposed to, like, help him with with something he's up to no good but even the book like can barely sort of commit to it where it's more like you know he's a villain but he's like a tortured villain like he doesn't want to like try and kill Dumbledore but it's like it makes more sense as a nomination and a win than when he wins again the following year um but it is one where you're like hmm how much of a villain is Draco really here? Yeah, so like I guess like in the books is like Draco Malfoy is played a little bit more sympathetically, I assume. Or just like given books, I feel like every character gets a little bit more a little more fleshing out. Uh, I mean, he is roughly the same. Oh. Um Yeah, no, it's roughly the same where like he still breaks his nose, he's still like like yeah. But then you still get those hints that of Wait, I forget. does the movie have, like, Moaning Myrtle going, oh, yeah, he's crying in the bathroom? Like, um, I don't recall, honestly. I would assume so. Okay. I think so. That feels, I rec- that feels like a recollection. Yeah, there's, like, a scene in the, the books where they don't even say it's him at first, but, yeah, you do get the sense that, like, he is sort of struggling with this as a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why Snape has to... Um, Help him out a little. Kill Dumbledore at the end. A uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Snape's an evil guy. Yeah. <laughs> his name is. An, honestly, his name is an anagram. That is for the most Snape. famous Harry Potter spoiler, I think. Oh like, yeah, it comes up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like you know, even not keeping up with these movies. Um, I guess I did watch this one, but. Uh, yeah, I feel like that was something that, like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, of course. Like, he's, like, <laughs> he's if there was anybody that was going to, it would kind of be him, you know? Um, but, yeah, like, yeah, this movie, again, I do want to try and sit down and watch these movies, like, movies for once. Uh, especially when I know I'm going to be already pretty, pretty fatigued on it. Um, but then again... Like Avatar is another one that I've had to re like revisit it a couple times. Like I've seen like a healthy chunk, like pretty recently, honestly. And like ah, that's still like a pretty that was still a pretty solid romp, you know, despite being like three hours long. A towering masterpiece. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it's the thing where like I feel like with Harry Potter, I feel like you. I feel like you know. I feel like there are Harry Potter fans that have watched the movies less times than I have uh, that are like super invested and love these worlds. And like, I'm just someone that's like, I think they're all right, but I definitely had to watch them quite a bit. It's definitely causing fatigue. So I think I need to start 
for this podcast, like stacking the deck in favor of these movies. That way I have a better time. Yeah. I mean, look, the Harry Potter movies, there is certainly, I know, a growing contingent of people who are like, well, everyone knows these were never that good. Though, every time I'm in a conversation with people who are like, yeah, no one likes these, I'm like, no, that is your bubble. Like, spend time in the world, work at a summer camp, and you find that, no, Harry Potter's as popular as ever. Like, it's... Oh, yeah, like, I, I, yeah, I don't think that, like, yeah, I think it's one of the, yeah, like, people definitely, like, really like these, and they're really, like, they're honestly, like, they're pretty good. You know, I, I would say that, I feel like I say the same thing about the, like, the Star Wars prequels, and that, like, they got their problems, but, like, they're clearly, like, good parts of these, you know, like, there's clearly very fun things, and, like, yeah. It's like a murderer's row of British character actors. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's but I feel like it is also one of those things where it's like, there's a lot of these, and I feel like, you know, I feel like it only would, it only takes, like, viewing one bad one, like, let's say they revisited, like, which one, I can't remember, what was the last one we covered, like, Order of the Phoenix or something, one that was, like, notoriously not the best one for you to get, like, the opinion of, like, oh, yeah, I guess these weren't that good. <laughs> Yeah, and even Order of the Phoenix has stuff I like in it, as I think I've said then, but yeah, this one I just feel has a lot going for it, like, it's fun, it's got Jim Broadbent as, like, Slughorn, like, the potions guy, yeah. he's really just a really funny character. I really like him, he's super charming, his introduction where he's like a chair is really charming. It's just like, yeah, it's just a fun, yeah. fun, fun characters, you know, like this, also, I feel like I said it last time, and it still holds true that, like, just like the... Just the world is just really like really neat and just really um just like the little little details like the little animated stuff in the in like the background and all that is just always really fun. Plus, I really like the like the shop scenes; those are really cool. There's a lot of neat stuff here. Um... Yeah, but yeah, the the villain, ah, I I don't know. It's a tough one. It's just not very. <laughs> he's just like I don't know. He's just like he's like a puppet and he's a little bit snide. But I feel like he like. I don't know. He doesn't get a lot of interactions with Potter, honestly. Like, he has, like, a few snide comments in, like, the hallway, but he doesn't get, like, a lot. Like, I don't know. It... I mean, he breaks his nose, but that's kind of the structure where a lot of it is, like, just Harry yeah. just trying to figure out what Malfoy is up to. Yeah, and that's, like, like yeah, that's, like, the one of the, in, like, the very beginning, almost, like, after the train. Um, but, like, for most of the movie, yeah, they're just, like, they're not, they don't really, like, have any scenes like that. But this is one of those ones where, as much as, and, you know, spoiler alert, or not, I'm not going to give Tom Felton the best villain here, but I, this is the, a case where I know exactly why he won. It's because uh, Tom Felton and the character Malfoy had, like, a massive fan base around them. Like, and there's, where, I'm trying to save some of my material for next time, because we have to talk about him two weeks in a row. And, again, as I have alluded to, he has even less to do in the next film. Like, it is just kind of the last 20 minutes where he shows up suddenly. But there's, like... But he's a very popular, like, character. Um, There's a, a lot of fan fiction where he's, like, painted sympathetically. Uh, Draco and Lever Pants is kind of what they call it. Like, that's kind of the name of the trope. <laughs> like, it's... 
Oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have don't have much else to say about Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. The like cave part is still still holds. Oh up, yeah, that's still like a really really fun, really scary scene. It's it's the one that stuck around and me the, the longest easily. And the inexplicable attack on the Weasley residence that was invented for the movie to give it more action, it still feels like something that was randomly stuck into the movie to give it more action. Mm-hmm. And to give us an appearance from Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. And speaking of Helena Bonham Carter... Oh my gosh, she... I was... I did not take note, but she shows up a lot in our podcast, in, like, the movies that we watch. Like, she was in Planet of the Apes. Especially in this age. Yeah, especially in this little era. And, like, yeah, it makes sense. He's, like, a prolific, you know, British actor. Yes. <laughs> like, she's going to be in a lot of stuff. And then she was also... Yeah, she was in the Sweeney Todd from couple episodes ago like with almost the exact same looking character as the harry potter one but very different looking from this movie uh alice in wonderland yeah um oh yeah i realize you you might not know uh, part of the reason why she pops up so much in burton stuff from this time is because they were actually in a relationship oh okay yeah from like 2001 roughly around the time of of like Planet of the yeah, Planet right. of the Apes. Planet of the Apes was a Tim Burton thing. I forgot. Listen, up through up through dark shadows. Yeah, listen, it's I when I think that Planet of the Apes to me will always be the Mark or the Mark Wahlberg Planet of the Apes, but just because of that one promotional picture, where he's just sitting with he's just in just like a t-shirt with his arms crossed with all the prosthetic like ape actors. <laughs> it's just a very funny picture. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Alice in Wonderland, um, famously a movie that is pretty bad. I I had never seen it, but a lot of people I know had always like hyped it up to me as this just real disaster of a thing. And then I watched it, and I'm like, oh, I don't think it's a disaster. Like, I don't know. Did you like it? Uh yeah, I would say I liked it. But like, here's the thing. It's pro this. Oh no! I guess I have seen this movie before. I this movie I've not seen in a very very long time, um, and I don't think I've ever actively watched it. Um, so like that and like Inglorious Bastards were like my these are kind of my two pseudo new viewings this week. Um, but I don't know. I just found something particularly like charming about it. I I like that it's it is stupid. It is a stupid movie. Um, where but like I it's one of those things where it's like. It's like the point. The point is that it's stupid, but like I could definitely see that not helping. Like it's just like it's it's just like I don't know. I feel like you could watch something. It's supposed to not make sense, but it's like not even. It's weird. It is weird that it is kind of a failure on two fronts a little bit, where it's a kind of confusing sporadic movie where just like things like happen for no reason and there's just a lot of like fipping by stuff but it's not quite as like surreal and dreamlike as i think it wanted to be it just feels like a poorly like structured movie 
This is the movie where I think famously it's like from the twisted mind of Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland. And it's an early live action remake, but it's kind of a yeah. sequel. Yeah, I think it's I think it is trying to it is trying to be a sequel to like the original one, which I've I've never seen the original one. Um I have played the Kingdom Hearts level though, so I feel like I do know literally everything that happens. Um <laughs> <laughs> I was stuck in that level for so long. I don't like it. Um Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah, it is tr- it is somewhat of a sequel. I'm not sure in the original if there is, is there a a Jabberwocky? Is there like a thing to slay in the original? No. So the Jabberwock is actually adapted from a a different kind of like a uh, carol poem. So, well, Aber- well, Alice in well, Alice in Wonderland is kind of like the yeah, you know, it's like Lewis Carroll. He wrote a couple books with Alice and things, and then also did sort of a lot of poems. Uh, a famous one involving sort of the Jabberwocky, which yeah, then kind of gets adapted into here as this dragon. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, I guess that's a compliment I can serve the movie. I like the dragon. I think it looks cool. I like dragons that breathe lightning instead of fire. Those are always just way more interesting and looks neato. Um, I don't I'll like... Say... Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah, you can go on. You don't like... I don't like all the growing and shrinking in this movie. It happens too many times. Um, just pick, pick a size, you know? Um... I was shocked by how long the film commits to her just being like certain sizes. <laughs> I guess that is kind of neat. I like that the I like that. So the so Helena uh, has like a CGI head ish, somewhat in a way. Uh, and somewhat. Like, well, I mean, I mean, it's like clearly like her face, like making expressions, and it's just like blown up, like it's like made bigger. Um, whereas like her henchman has a CGI body which looks so weird. It's just so I really it was alluring. It wasn't off-putting. I didn't dislike it. It was just very very strange to look at. That like the henchman with like the heart eye patch has like one thing is a really long body, very long proportions, but it's like it's a CGI body, like it's a fake body. Um and it just looks it looks I don't know. I feel like I've been um I don't know. I've been a little bit uh What's his name? I've been Zemeckis pilled on CGI. I want to see it everywhere now, and I wanted to. I wanted to look bad too. I wanted to. Well, not bad, but I wanted to know it's CGI. It's it's alluring looking, to say the yeah. least. Fun, funnily enough, uh, the guy who plays sort of the knave of hearts, her like henchman, is Crispin Glover, who was Grendel in Beowulf. Oh my gosh! I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, I was like, oh yeah, I was in Beowulf last week, but I'm like, no, wait, 2009 is between that one, but we recorded <laughs> it way before we recorded 2008. So. Oh yeah, that feels like ages ago. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, but yeah, um, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think of the Fuddenwhacken? That's the dance, right? Yes. It needed to be a little longer. It needed to be... There needed to be no music, um, or it yeah. needed to be it needed to be like anticlimactic, um, 
it needed to be something that it wasn't. It was not what it should have been. Um, looked goofy, funny, funny music, but like, I feel like it's something they played up to a lot. This movie, this movie's weird because it's not that weird. It's like, it's like kind of like lol random weird, but not like surreal weird. There's like an episode of, there's an episode of Family Guy and... I knew you were going to just bring up Family Guy. I, I don't know what you're talking about, but he's like, there's an episode. I'm like, if he says Family Guy. It's, yeah, listen. So it's like, it was like a big event and it's not a very good episode, but it was like a big event where it's like, here's an, wait, so I think they've done this twice. So I'm not, it's not the more famous version of it, which is weird that there's two of these and one of them is more famous, but it's like the, there's going to be no cutaways this episode. Um, so there's two of those, one where Brian and Stewie are locked in a safe and then one where there's like a storm. Um, so the one where there's a storm and there's no cutaways, uh, Brian, the dog, uh, I think he goes on like an LSD trip. Um, and I think that has like more horrific, interesting imagery than this movie does. (laughs) Um, or, you know what? Actually, never mind. This movie's imagery is not that bad. But this movie's, like, concepts. Like, I don't know. Like, the... I feel like I'm dogging on this movie that I actually enjoyed rather thoroughly. Um, this was, like, a fun time. It also helps that it's, like... It's, I think, one of the shortest on the list. Um, so, like, it wasn't a super long movie. But, like... It's just, like, in the scene where, like, every character's, like, supposed to be, like, mad. Like, supposed to be crazy. But, like, it's just the most, like... It's just they're just saying random things. It's just like not. I don't know. It just doesn't seem. It doesn't seem genuine. It's just like. This is like this is how you stereo stereotypically write people that are crazy. How this is, they would just say something random, and it's just like not very entertaining. Um, yeah, the thing with Tim Burton and it is in the early part of his career, he gets such a reputation for being like this weird guy. And then all of a sudden, it just feels like he's kind of tired of doing that thing, but he knows it's what's expected of him, so he just kind of keeps doing stuff like this, and um, yeah. to, to lesser effect, I would say. Yeah, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, because, like, I guess it's, I don't credit, you know, shouldn't credit that to Tim Burton, because I feel like the Sweeney Todd thing was a musical, but, like, that one's really weird, and, like, that one, like, has weird, like, concepts in it. Um, what was I going to say? It's something else. Oh, it's completely escaping me. But, yeah. But, yeah, for something as surreal as, like, Alice in Wonderland uh, famously can be based on... Like, the animated film, I think, has a lot more invention to it. Um, I'll say, the one part of this movie I do think it's so dumb, I think it's, like, it works, is that the place is actually called Underland... And their explanation is Alice was a kid and she misheard it as Wonderland. <laughs> I do like that quite a bit. That is pretty nice. I yeah. I don't know. I like. Listen, with the slew of animated remakes that, or not, sorry, um, live action remakes that like don't do a super lot. Um, I do like the idea of like making it somewhat of. I do like the idea of like making it a sequel. I don't know. I. F- I don't know why. I feel like if I was like a big Alice in Wonderland fan, 
uh, I feel like it would be like, oh, neat. This is like a sequel and not like overwriting the original a little bit. Because it's like, because like the Lion King live action is it's probably the crowning example of like the worst one, probably because um, it legitimately adds nothing. Like, I don't even think it has like new songs and it takes out songs. Um, whereas like the Mulan, I think like has like a new character and like, um, I, I weirdly, I feel like I'm weirdly in the minority apparently, but I really like that one new song from the new, uh, from the live action Beauty and the Beast. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. like the new, yeah, the, we've uh, talked about the Beauty yeah. and the Beast. Yeah. And like the Aladdin like has like, n- I think a couple new songs with like Jasmine, but like, yeah, yeah. like. I like I like when they tr- they they should always strive to try and do something a little different. Yeah, Aladdin is one where I'm, uh, I'm like a minority where I like I kind of like that movie partly because when I watched it, it was with my sister who had somehow never seen the original, so I got a bit of that fresh eye look. But I think most of the musical sequences are like bad, and the new song, which is. It's part of the thing with a remake is, oh, remake it, but add something girl boss in it. Like, this film has it a little with the idea of, okay, she's gonna, like, she's not gonna get married. She's gonna become the apprentice for this guy's, like, trade route. Like, they feel so obligated to kind of correct their, like, you know, the the kind of subtle and, well, sometimes not so subtle sexism of past Disney movies that it kind of goes in another extreme, and the but the Aladdin song, which is like you know, it's called Speechless, and it's a point where like you know, it's Jafar taking power and like it's going, I will not go speechless. But the thing that's always kind of like on that song is the choreography of it is weirdly similar to um a big kind of climatic song from the Disney Channel original movie Zombies, which Zombies is a movie where. The premise is basically that um, in, in, in the 60s, there was like some meteor that turned a lot of people into zombies, but they developed controllers that could kind of control them, and now they sort of live in a walled-off section of the city, and they're, but now these zombies have kids, and these kids are going to let try going to normal high school, and it's kind of about this cheerleader girl who's like kind of normal, but she has like shocking white hair that's kept under a wig. And she but sort of befriends the zo- zombie boys. And the climax of, of that is uh, that basically the antagonistic male cheerleader character kind of tampers with their collars during the big football game and makes it look like they're dangerous. But she has a big song called Stand, which similarly is a thing about, I'm going to make a stand, I'm going to make my voice heard. And it is r- shockingly similar in choreography to Aladdin a couple years later. So my thing's always been Aladdin kind of ripped off a decom. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's huh. That's so strange. Yeah. I will say yeah, Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, to get back on topic, <laughs> I would say she's one of the better parts of this movie. <laughs> yeah. No, I really do. The thing is that like it's really weird that like this movie has like really like charming elements that are really funny. Um, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was, you know, as much as I like dogging it a little bit, I think it's really charming. One of my favorite things in it, I don't know 
it's clearly it must be supposed to be funny but like the dog that has like a wife and kids and like he's in like three scenes and two of them is him telling someone that that i have a wife and kids um that's just really funny that's just a really funny thing i i like i don't know same with uh just like in um narnia i really like the talking cgi animals i feel like they they're really funny to me um yeah and like i feel like yeah the queen is like yeah it's like pretty it's a pretty decent like force um i like how she like i kind of like i like the um joke i like the that she's um from umbridge that's not that's a good one that's a that's not a bad one um yeah (laughs) i like the is that really really good scene in the beginning with the uh with um with the frog that ate the that ate the little pastry (laughs) i don't know it's just this movie this movie's got this movie's got some charm if it could only be like channeled a little better um yeah yeah like this is a movie again i heard so much talk from people about how awful it was where i'm like oh no i don't think it's good but i think you know there's a bit of stuff that's there like first thing is just because I think much of it, it just kind of gets a bit boring after a while, but mm. the dragon sequence at the end is, is fun. I will say the fudder whacking to kind of get back to that dance was something I had been very familiar with, like, basically gifts of, and maybe I'd watched a clip once, but I I was watching it, and I'm like, what is this song? Like, the music that plays with it is just so out of place with everything. It's just, like, it just really, like, detracts from everything. Like, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I feel like this, I don't know. I didn't know this movie had a sequel as well. I didn't know, like, Through the Looking Glass existed. I. It's weird. I usually think these movies just exist once and then never again. Uh, same with, like, Narnia and stuff like that. Like, I didn't know, I don't know these movies, like, have, that they continued on. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, this movie's got some good parts. I, I don't know, I, in theory, I, in theory, like, the, what is it, like, what do, like, a raven and a writing desk have in common? I, I like that, I don't know, I, I liked that little, that little thing at the end, I wish it was, problem is this movie, it, <laughs> i don't think it could it's it's weird it's like it's two biggest problems i think are at like other ends of like a rope and like if you were to give one it would all just like it would all it would just fall and like nothing would be good but it was like i feel like if you tried to like focus in the story a little bit more and have like stronger character moments and relationships um because they want to try and have like a little sweet moment where like uh alice like says like the line to uh the mad hatter about like you know like all the best people are crazy um but like i feel like that they don't have time to do that when they're being this like really stupid movie that just goes through things really fast and just like has like like things that are just happening i feel like it if it's i feel like it intentionally so is trying to be like very dreamlike um but it just like it doesn't push that envelope far enough. 
where I feel like, I don't know, I, I've not watched the original, but I feel like if I watched the original, I feel like it would probably shore up all the things that I didn't like about it. I like, um, I really like, uh, was like Tweedle, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, like the two little egg-shaped guys. Yeah. I like those guys a lot. I think they just look really funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like them. <laughs> yeah, no, those are good. Um, so do we have anything else to say about Alice in Wonderland? No, I think I'm all, all good there. Yeah. Good for the performance. Um, odd movie. Yeah, it definitely could be better. And just kind of watching with all that weird CGI, and you, you know, you finish, you're like, ah, oh, I have kind of a headache, or maybe that's just a hangover. Hello. This was the first um, 18 plus. I think it was like 18, or was it? I don't know what it was. It was highly rated. It was 18 plus. Was, I have. Yeah. I'm going to have a big story about this in a minute. So just, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah, this was the first 18 plus movie I'd ever seen. Um, that uh, because me and my friend went to go, we bought tickets for Transformers and we got like bored of pretty far in. I think it was Transformers 3, whichever one came out at around the hand. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which out. is the second one. Oh yeah, whichever one had like the the two robots that the two half robots that made one taxi or whatever um in like the opening scene uh and then we just like snuck over to hangover and ended up having like a really good time because like when you're a kid like this is a very funny movie um not not the funniest on rewatch like i don't know i i kind of want to watch the trilogy now because i have memories of this movie and also ken's character like being funny but like this movie is just like I don't know, for every hit it feels like there's like two misses. And I feel like uh, unfortunately a lot of the misses like come from Ken. Like it's just not it's not the funniest. I mean like his introduction's pretty funny. Like a naked guy jumping out of a car. That's pretty funny. That's good. That's that's uh, I got a decent chunk out of me. But like everything else just like I don't know what it was. It's just not as funny. And like I feel like it has to come down to the like the um like the writing because like he's like so funny in community so like it's i don't think it's definitely not the like the actor (laughs) like um yeah that's my my little thoughts on you know that's my hangover hot take uh not aged the best yeah i will say I watched all three Hangover movies over the course of November. Uh, previously, I had only seen The Hangover Part 3, as I have mentioned on air before. Um, so, but, so yeah, I watched this one, and I did like it. Like, I think it's good. It's, yeah, you know, the structure is kind of fun. It's definitely not aged as well over the time. Like, I remember in 2009, everyone was going kind of nuts for this thing. And then, 2000, like, The Hangover Part 2 is, I don't think it's, like, that good. A couple friends of mine, like, including, yeah, uh, yeah, the person who is gonna be, uh, the guest for this episode, but we weren't, just weren't able to make it work out, uh, she thinks The Hangover Part 2 is, like, good, and The Hangover Part 1 is bad, like, Basically, everything with part two is, oh, there's 
there's more kind of stakes to what's going on, even though it's repeating a lot of the same bits. I'll say it is, it's funny because I see Ken Jong's name on the list and I'm like, yeah, no, this makes sense. He was kind of a breakout character in that movie because his appearance was so surprising, but it's like, he really is in just three scenes. Um, it's kind of his introduction and then he comes back later and then the final kind of thing with him in the desert. And then each Hangover movie sort of increasingly builds up his part. Like, two still takes him out of it for a lot of it, but he is kind of the main thrust of Hangover Part 3, which is genuinely a great film that I think is so funny and so good and is a really funny spoof of, here's the epic conclusion of the trilogy that brings all the threads together. Because it's bringing threads together from the first two Hangover movies, which is like inherently a nonsensical task. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's it's one of those things where like I I remember going into this being like, oh yeah, you know, I haven't seen this in a while. It's probably gonna be really funny. And it's like, oh man, he's not a he's not in it a lot. And B, it's like the scene he is in it. It's just like they don't give him a lot to work with. Um, like they're very short. They're pretty snappy. Um, like. And yeah, I feel like, I feel like, because I also have not seen the second one. I've only seen the third one as well, like one in three. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like a lot of my, like, you know, my memories of him being funny are probably from the third one. Um, yeah. Yeah. The third one, he gets more to do. Yeah. I'll say also, I prefer this to the second one because, I mean, all, the, all of these movies have their issues. The The second one is definitely definitely like a bit more trans transphobic in ways than well the third one also is kind of like the one of the very last jokes it kind of goes out on is ed helm's character suddenly awakening with like boobs which is kind of an issue but the second one is him having like kind of an an encounter with a trans woman in thailand um that is not treated very gracefully yeah no these movies yeah i don't uh, <laughs> yeah not the yeah. best um yeah what was i gonna say yeah no um i think a note i made that was like probably like the most like probably most succinct thing i could say about it was that like i think the funniest part of the movie and the movie that like i think maybe chug of the hearts was just like the wedding singer at the end <laughs> i think like that was probably like like that was probably my favorite scene um yeah it's just like it's weird i f i feel like i remember these movies there being more like i feel like all my manual memories must just be from the third one because like i remember it being like way funnier and way more like grandiose um but yeah no like it really does like not it's not as like it's not as crazy of a romp as i remember it must just be the third one yeah, it's funny. Most of the stuff that I believe got it kind of rated 18A here is from, like, the credit sequence at the end of them looking for the pictures with all the boobs. Oh, yeah, and also uh, Carrot Top shows up, which that doesn't... <laughs> he is... Yeah, it's just a... Uh... Man, Carrot Top is weird. Because when I was a kid... I knew him as, like, he's, like, the prop comic. 
And when he, oh, and when you were sorry. an adult, you knew him for something else. Uh, I knew him as the guy that looks very strange. Um, and is like really like clearly roided out. Um, <laughs> which is like a weird thing to be. Um, I also remember he was on an episode of Gene Simmons Family Jewels, uh, where they made like a, they made like a, like bar like prison cell bars out of vibrators um so those are my three in my in my little web of carrot top those are the only three three tendrils of it like prop comedy probably on some kind of steroid and uh on gene simmons family jewels and then i guess also brief photo cameo in the hangover (laughs) (laughs) Like, never, yeah. doesn't show up in the movie at all, just, like, in pictures in the end. Yeah, it's just such a funny thing to just stick in the end of your movie. Um, yeah, I wonder, is, is Carrot Top, like, is he a Vegas performer? Is he, like, is he, like, I Celine Dion? He, he must be. It must just be, like, a little thing for the fans, you know, right right before Zaka Alphanak is getting a blowjob from some lady. Um... <laughs> What a, it feels like there must have been, I don't know about like a lot of work, but like, I feel like for like, it feels like a lot of effort for post-credit or not like for like credit photo montage, you know, because it feels like it's just like a lot. I guess that's like supposed to be like the night they had that we never saw, you know? Yeah. Okay. Since 2005, Carrot Top has headlined at MGM Resorts International Properties in Las Vegas. It is a residency comedy show at the Luxor Hotel since... November 22nd, 2005, and performs various comedy engagements when his show is not playing. Maybe one day we'll get a an Elvis-style movie about him and the yeah. the evil person that ruined his life. If yeah. Tom Hanks is not nominated <laughs> next year. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, well, there you go. That could be the... We, if not, we could definitely pick that for host choice where the, the real villain is you for loving Elvis too much. Um, I still that is my favorite part about that movie that you watch this guy for like two hours like ruin and be such a bad person to Elvis and be genuinely evil and then him then for him narrating to go like this is actually kind of your fault not mine my favorite part is how you convinced yourself it wasn't Tom Hanks yeah after being like oh it's Tom Hanks and then when I was like you when we saw Lightyear the next day and I was using the washroom after I walk out and you're like, I was looking at that poster and that was Tom Hanks. I'm like, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. The weird thing is, is that initially I knew it was Tom Hanks. And then as the movie went on, I was like, there's no way this is, this must be like Ian Hanks or something like his brother. Um, like there's no way it's him, <laughs> but, oh uh, yeah. All right. I don't know, so I've here's ever... my story about why I didn't see The Hangover in theaters. <laughs> oh. oh, wait, did you have anything more? Or just the... uh, no, I just, uh, I don't know if I've ever brought up in this podcast, um, Ian Hanks, uh, Tom Hanks' brother, who, like, if there was a brief time, when I, I don't know how long, there was a time where if there was ever a video game tie-in to one of, like, Tom Hanks' movies, Ian Hanks would voice, voice the Tom Hanks character. So like he voiced it in. His like, name is Jim. Is it not Ian Hanks? Is it Jim Hanks? I'm, Jim Hanks is the one who does his thing. 
Ian is like your friend. Are you thinking I, that I, like I I could have sworn his name was Ian Hanks. I don't know. It's Jim Hanks. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. Whoops. I don't know why I thought his name was Ian. It's it's not because he's uh, my friend. I just genuinely Where did I hear that? I have no clue why it was stuck in my head as Ian Hanks. But yeah, I guess Jim Hanks. So as established in the summer of 2009, I was working at this camp, um, and basically it was late June and we had come in up there for staff training and I believe we were mostly done with everything. So we had a free day and we we're like, Hey, yeah, let's go to the movies and let's go into Calgary and let's go see this, the hangover. Like it's big, it's tearing it up, up the charts. So a bunch of us decided, yeah, we'll go into town, and some people were going to see The Hangover, and the people who didn't want to see The Hangover, they're like, well, we'll find something else. Um, so, at the time, I am 16, and basically everyone else there is an adult, or, well, at least over the age of 18. So, the film is like 18A, so it becomes a thing where they're like, look, Kenny, you're a minor, we do kind of have to run it through with, like, Lisa, who was our boss at the time. So we so we bring it up with Lisa. We're like, hey, we're go, going to go see this movie. It's 18A. Can Kenny go? And she's like, well, you know, if you call his parents and get kind of permission to take him. And um, a lot of the people they were with were people I knew for a long time, who knew my parents for a long time. So they absolutely were going to go, yeah, he can go. She's like, then you can, then you can see it, but, hmm. Then she's like, maybe I need to talk with, like, my boss. Because the structure of the camp was, there was kind of Lisa, who was sort of overseeing the program, and then other camp stuff was overseen by this other guy, Larry, who we barely ever saw. But he likes to show up at the beginning of camps and make us all sing the song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, because it was a pretty Christian camp. Um, so, or... Or maybe she didn't say, oh, I'm going to talk to, like, Larry about it, but we had a feeling that there was a chance that she could change her mind. So, you know, we kind of had a thing where, like, okay, we'll get the tickets, and then if she calls, we're like, well, too late. And then, but then, kind of in the meantime, um, she didn't tell Larry, but, like, she had let, let it, like, kind of slip to her fiancé, who was the maintenance person at camp. And he had seen Larry, and Larry's like, oh, where was all, like, the Saturday? And like, well, they went into to town to, like, see see something like The Hangover, and Larry had just been listening to, you know, whatever Christian radio thing that was just kind of going off on The Hangover, and he's like, well, he's like, you know, that's not the best, but I guess as long as Kenny's not there, because Kenny's young, right? And then it's like, oh, yeah, and they're like, yeah, no, Kenny should not be seeing that. So sure enough, you got to a thing where... Like, they got the call, and then they're like, no, it's like, Kenny absolutely can't see The Hangover. Like, he's he's in our care, he's a minor, and eventually I was like, okay, and my friend Jeff, to his credit, because I believe he was going to see The Hangover, and he volunteered to not see it, and instead he's like, yeah, no, we'll see something else. We'll see The Taking of Pelham 123, which, um, which is a remake of kind of a movie from the 70s that I would argue was probably worse for me to see than The Hangover. It's pretty violent, very action-packed, and has John Travolta saying, among other, like, profanities in the movie, but, like, lick my bunghole motherfucker. Um, so, 
But it was rated 14A, and The Hangover was 18A. So that was the film I saw. And Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3 went on to be one of my favorite films, so it all kind of worked out. But that's why, like, I just never saw The Hangover until last month. Yeah. Man, we had we had two polar opposite stories, I realize that now, is that we were both minors, one of us got pulled out, one of us got sucked in. And you were several years younger than me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like, you know what? That's the perfect age to see it, because I feel like that is the optimal age to find a lot of things about that movie more funny. Um, at least this first one. Uh, yeah. And then ironically, later in the summer, a couple of like the staff who, one of them was like 17 and then the other ones were 15 and they went to see the hang, hangover and like in Red Deer. But then there was a point where like, I forget if they turn around, but Lisa and her fiance were like kind of right in front of them and they turned around and they were like, um, busted? Like, <laughs> that's the whole thing where they go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so do we have anything else to say about The Hangover as a film? Watch uh, the third one, I guess, is my thing. Yeah, yeah. Little, uh, yeah, definitely. Maybe this, I don't know, second one probably is not the, not the best, you know? Yeah. I guess The Hangover segment has said a little about the actual movie, but there's not a ton to no. say. Like, yeah, this movie is just not a lot. Not a lot happens. It's weird. There's not a lot of spectacle in this movie. Um, the taser scene is funny. Yeah, the taser scene is probably the most iconic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This film contributes to kind of the imagery rehabilitation of Mike Tyson, which, um, considering some of the allegations against him, maybe not the best thing. But this movie did con like doing it, or either this one or the second one did kind of convince him to stop drinking and turn his life around a bit. So that's nice. Yeah. That ain't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with that, we can probably move on to yeah the next film. We'll say Toodaloo, motherfuckers, to the Hangover for now, <laughs> and go on to Avatar. Great. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Did you? How recently did you watch this one? We isn't the the Way of Water's coming out in a couple days, isn't it? I am seeing it tomorrow. Thursday. Hey. I'm, I'm like tomorrow. I'm like no Thursday, <laughs> but I am so excited. Did you um, rewatch this one like recently to like prep for the sequel? Yeah. So, as I believe comes up on Mike when I'm when I implore you to see this in theaters if you can, and then you just did not because you were like bu busy with all that other stuff. But yeah, so Avatar was, I think it got taken off, taken off of Disney Plus. Like that's kind of my understanding that. It was sort of removed when they put it back in theaters for a couple weeks, but I don't know how accurate that is. But yeah, in September, to sort of build up excitement for the new film, and also my understanding is, like, The Way of Water is very much a movie where you have to see the original um, in order to understand a lot of what's going on. But... Basically, in order to, um, yeah, but to kind of, so to get that in mind and to set uh, set some things up, because obviously this movie came out in two thousand nine, 
Oh, Google says it's still on Disney Plus. Okay. Um, but this film was re-released in theaters. Um, as I believe I said the last time we talked about Avatar, I declined to see this movie in theaters because, in my little like, by this point I was still sixteen but almost seventeen, and in my mind I'm when everyone's like, yeah. The story's not the best, but, you know, the effects. And I'm like, well, if the story's not the best, like, if this movie is going to be worse not in theaters, then it can't be that good a movie, because I was dumb. Um, and it has long been a regret of mine that I did not see Avatar in theaters. So, of course, I jumped at the chance to, to do it in September. And, yeah, it's it just blew me away then, like, I know in our last episode I the, about Avatar, if you listen, I'm sure it's me like kind of half remembering the plot and just going, oh, yeah, yeah, because I had only been paying attention to, like, to some of it, and I'm positive on it. I'm like, yeah, this is really good, but watching it in theaters with no distractions and everything just kind of washing over me, I'm like, my God, this is a masterpiece. Like, Cameron, you've done it again. So, I'm seeing Way of Water on Thursday. I'll give a little debrief on our, like, next episode a bit on it, on how many times I, like, just burst into tears at everything, because I'm sure it's going to be happen at least twice. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to see it in theaters recently, but I did see it in theaters when it came out. Um and what I remember from that experience is that uh, I know at the end of the movie it does like the title thing where it does like it says like Avatar, um, you know. And I was like, I, I think I turned to some whoever I was with and went like, that was the longest like pre-title sequence I've ever seen in my life. Now the movie can start. Um, this little... was a year after the Dark Knight had done it. <laughs> I hadn't seen or I had seen the Dark Knight. I don't know why I didn't remember it. I, didn't. I thought you were going to turn around and go papyrus <laughs> uh, yeah weird but, you know um, yeah I feel like I don't not much has changed about my opinion about this movie from like the last time we saw it like again I didn't watch it in theaters for this rewatch I kind of watched it just like regular style um, but yeah no I am I am very I'll always be impressed um and it lucky for me it happens more often than not that like we get a movie that's super long but it's like pretty captivating like this doesn't feel like a three-hour movie like it definitely like pushes you along like really nicely um and it's just yeah it's at least half an hour shorter than the next one yeah yeah um yeah like it's yeah it's it's kind of like this beautiful world um yeah, just really nice, like, character design. Um, yeah, pretty, uh, I feel like the, ah, oh man, I feel like this one criticism, maybe, like, the side characters could be, like, a tad stronger, but I guess that's maybe not the point. But usually with, like, a runtime this long, I usually, like, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm expecting sometimes. Is like, come on, Bones is Joel David Moore. <laughs> can do much as Norm Spellman. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah i guess um yeah the vi- the villain in this is like very simple but like pretty fun it's kind of what you want in this kind of in this kind of movie that you just you kind of 
you want like a big kind of you know not not like a meathead but like a big just like war machine type you know character um not like war machine from marvel but like a machine for war um yeah he's just he's just kind of you know again kind of he's he him i have the same feelings about him as that i do with the alice in wonderland movie in general is that i, I wish they could they, i feel like they could get away with pushing it a little farther to make him a little more entertaining but he i feel like he does get a he does get like maximum unhinged by the end and i feel like i can appreciate that have you heard he's coming back in the way of water oh that's amazing i hope so <laughs> yeah so here's here's what they're doing basically the idea with it is they're introducing a different type of avatar called recombinants, which are basically they make avatar bodies and then put in the mind, basically the minds and personalities of dead soldiers. So he's going to be back in like a red avatar body with like his memories. Oh man, this movie's gonna be just like Venom Two: Let There Be Carnage. There's gonna be a red one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think Stephen Lang, he's really good as the the character. Like, yeah, as you said, it is pretty basic stuff story-wise, though that does kind of work for this movie's pa- power. Um, But I'll say one thing that is impressive about this film is it is incredibly cynical about humanity for, like, a 2009 blockbuster. Like, almost every human character sucks. Um, It's... I mean, we're we're not quite really qualified, I would say, to go into like the ways that it's maybe problematic for it to trade on like kind of Native American, like First Nations, in indigenous imagery in its portrayal of like Pandora and its people. But this film is like very pretty staunchly anti-colonialist. Yeah. And yeah, and he serves like is a just a great example of this guy who like does not care about anything about get except get forgetting the unobtainium. Yeah, and I feel like his the cert the like the I feel like the general character the um like the colonel uh I feel like he like doesn't even really care about that. I feel like he just has like he just has like a yearning to like just like be a soldier. I feel like the the whatever oh his name he's a he's like a somewhat famous actor is it um what is it oh uh the giovanni antonio giovanni ribsy ribisi um yeah like i feel like he's more like the oh we gotta get this thing but i feel like the the stephen lang character is just kind of like whatever excuse he can he can get to put on the big mech suit and shoot the big gun um which is just like that i feel like it's like a really it's a perfect like contrast to like the the other side of the movie which is like loving nature and like treating and like this connectiveness and all this like you know just contrast with just like this just pure like mechanical you know no blood just like diesel um it's just like really 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 fun i'm i'm hopefully i get a chance to see the movie uh because i want to i can see him back in a in a red one <laughs> yeah but I'm not visiting in January. We we can go. Like we'll see for. I'll see you in a second or maybe even third time. We'll we'll see how many times to see Avatar: The Way of Water in theaters. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Which reminds me, there is a very funny James Cameron like interview or Jim Cameron interview he gave recently about the new one where they're like, the movie's really re- like really long. Are, are you sure the audiences can handle that? It's like, look, he's like, by all means, go to yeah. People can go to the bathroom at any point during the movie. It's okay. They'll just see what they miss the next time they see it, which is just <laughs> such a funny thing to say. Like, it's so confident. And, yeah. and that's like the charm of Jim Cameron. Like, no one else is just trying to, like, make these films that are redefining what a blockbuster can achieve technologically. Yeah, no. And I feel like, oh, weirdly, the second James. Wait. Titanic is also James Cameron. This is the second movie where I completely forget about like the pre, the pre um, main part of all of his movies. Where like with Titanic, I forget about like the framing device, and with this one, I always forget that they're living in like Blade Runner times. I always forget that there's like this like weird like neon metropolis that um, that Sam Worthington's character is in just for the first like 10 they get they cut to it really fast so much faster than Titanic um but yeah, I always forget like yeah they're in like they're in like the weird like neo future because <laughs> like a lot of it most of the movie a good healthy chunk of it takes us on Pandora that could like realistically like it's like futuristic but it's the kind of futuristic that like could exist like you know, in tandem with, like, modern day. Like, I feel like I've seen fictions where, like, it's the modern day, but there's, like, a space station with, like, ray guns on it or something. Yeah, apparently Jim Ca- Jim Cameron was also saying that if they get to Avatar 5, that's when they'll go back to Earth and do more Earth stuff, but... <laughs> Avatar 5? Yeah, we're gonna be... Uh, hopefully I'll be able... Hopefully I won't... I'll still be alive when that comes out. Yeah, it's... Well, they shot three back-to-back with two, so, like, three is genuinely supposed to be coming up in, like, a couple years. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but then again, two was also supposed to be coming up in a couple of years, so... <laughs> yeah, it depends. I guess, yeah. We'll, we'll believe it when we see it, but also, for... Really, up until January, two was, we'll believe it's coming out this year when we see it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Avatar, like, this is probably the most I have turned around on a movie, like, in between podcasting watches of all the ones we've had to rewatch so far, where, like, the first time I'm like, yeah, really good, and this time I'm like, it's a masterpiece, I see you, I see you, like, um, if it's ever back in theaters, I highly recommend people watch it, because, you know, it is the full effect, and I think it's a good film without all that stuff, but what I've come to learn in the time of 13 years is it's okay for these movies to exist that are more uh, technological marvels than story marvels, because people like because people like Jim Cameron, or well, James Cameron, really, I, the, well, I can call him Jim, yeah, it's fine. The Jim, like Jim, Jim Hanks, Hanks yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Ian Cameron, yeah. P- people like Big Jim Cameron. Like, th- this isn't some Marvel thing where they're, you know, it's a lot of CGI and a lot of this. This is them, like, genuinely pushing what CGI can be and do and actually having a good sense of geography when it comes to... Like, the final action sequence in this is incredible. And there's a lot of stuff in Sky, and there's a lot of moving parts, but it's always really clear what's happening. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I always, I really like the, yeah, the kind of final, the sort of the two final fights, the one with like the air carriers and then like the one fight with the mech suit. And I'll say like, it also, there does feel like genuine stakes when he's doing stuff like knocking down the trees, like home tree and. Yeah. On a villain level, I think this film kind of delivers, uh, even if. The villain is not really the point of this. Yeah, definitely. For for the amount of screen time he's like given and the amount of like time he gets to like flex, I feel like he makes he makes effective work of it. You know? Like it's not every not every villain needs to be this like super sympathetic complex thing. Sometimes you just you just need a bad guy with a big mech knife. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so do we have anything else to say on Avatar? No. Cool. Then in that case, we can move on to Inglorious Bastards. Um, the first best villain film we are covering where the villain in question is a literal Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, I guess, you know, Draco, <laughs> Draco Malfoy is a worse villain than a Nazi, which is strange to think about. Um, <laughs> or at least a better one, whatever that means. But, uh, yeah, no. Um, I had never seen this movie. Um, I'm not sure how many Tarantinos I have left to see. I think there's like Kill Bill Part Two and maybe Death Wish, um, and probably ones I'm just free. Oh, and Crazy Eight. I have not seen that one either. But um, yeah, this is a. This is just another. Yeah, it's just like a f- fun sort of, very much like kind of fun like actiony romp except like the back the you know the the backdrop is just like a nazi occupied france um and like the villains are nazis but uh yeah it still manages to have like a pretty like i don't know like light-hearted tone and it just it's like i don't know it's it's like very it's got really good like very tense scenes a couple times and it has like nice like kind of like cathartic scenes like the ending too um yeah, and Christopher Waltz doing an absolutely like wonderful job being like a, like very like hateable and evil and slimy even on like a Nazi bell curve. Yeah. So Christoph Waltz, he had been primarily active in like kind of basically Austria and German films to like that point. And this was sort of his big American breakthrough role. And it really was like a breakout. Like, I feel he's everywhere for a few years after this, including, like, in a movie we're going to talk about the next year. But this is, I think, the two things that most people remember fr- from this film is how it ends, and then, like, Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa. Like, yeah, and he's a big part of how it ends, too. Um, yeah, no, he's, yeah, I, I. Yeah, he's giving, like, a really, like, like, it is, he brings, I feel like all the great, greatest villains on this, like, whole thing are just the ones that, like, bring, like, a mood into the room with them. And, like, every scene with him is just, like, so, like, oh, it feels like you're, you're, you're you know, you're, you're, uh, what's the expression? You're on thin ice. Everything feels, like, very, like, like, every step could be, like, the wrong step. Um... Yeah, I really, really enjoyed his performance. Yeah, and as you said, like it's one of those things where 
he's not in a ton of films. Like a lot of it is just kind of setting up sort of, well, it's like the, the bastards in action or it's following kind of the, uh, Shoshana's revenge plot. But whenever he's on the screen, he is kind of basically taking over the film. Um, he really, I also think he might be one of the most, like, evil villains we are talking about. Like, in in terms of, like, p just pure evil, like, I'd say, I mean, besides just being a Nazi, which is bad enough, like, he really j does just sell that there's nothing redeemable about this character. Oh, yeah, and, like, that's, like, apparent from, like, the first scene. Like, the first scene is just such a, like... Ugh, it's just such a, like, it's, like, already, it's just very, like, off-kilter right off the bat, and it just ends so, like, horribly. And he is such, like, he's he's connected to, like, one of the sort of two, um, like, main protagonists in the movie. Um, how did you feel about, like, a lot of this movie being, like, subtitled in, like, in just either, like, French or German? Yeah, I mean, it certainly made for an experience from like oh right because i have seen this one before it was several years ago so i'm like oh right i have to pay attention to a lot of it because a lot of it is there but i do like it i think it adds like a level of authenticity and i think it's fine to like go okay if you want to like see this film like you you kind of have to read some subtitles like yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it, mainly because, like, there's not, like, a movie where they just said, screw it, and, like, they spoke English a lot um, for most of it to compare to, but, like, I do like it, it, you know, it's, it makes you read, it's, I feel like there are a lot of, like, probably deliveries that only worked in, like, in that language, um, yeah, and, like, I don't know, like, um, so it is, um, it's Christoph Waltz, is he, he's, is he, uh, he's Austrian? Or I guess he's, um... Yeah, he, he is, like, the, uh, he is, like, German-Austrian, yeah. or Austrian-German, um, he was born in Vienna, yeah, he, his, his son was, uh, or his dad was a German set designer, his mother was an Austrian costume designer. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, I thought, of course, because, like, my default is always just, I guess, just, like american or canadian whenever i see like a hollywood actor because like well because there's also that scene in the beginning where like he's like can we just like speak in english and i thought that was just like a tongue-in-cheek way of going like yeah you're not gonna have to read a lot of subtitles for this movie which was not true it was a different thing where it was more just setting up the part where the people under the floorboard can't understand what he's saying in this like devious little trick God, that Whoa. opening scene is like really strong really yeah it just makes for such a such an instantly like hateable menacing evil villain that's like just like yeah and just yeah yeah and yeah i honestly man it's a weird it's not i don't know it's not a trope that i feel like i can think of a lot of examples off the top of my head but i do like i do like when there's two like kind of plots happening like there's like the there's like the revenge film story but there's also like the bombing at the same location and i like that they don't know about each other and they never truly find out about each other until they're both going off um i don't know i kind of like that it's just kind of like neat um i don't know it's just like it's 
I don't know why. I can't explain why it's intriguing, but it is just like I like the idea of the the two sort of things just like happening to ha- happen together. Um, yeah, yeah. It kind of structurally, it, you do kind of like a bit of Pulp Fiction in there, except I think in Pulp Fiction the various storylines are more overlapping, but there is also some storylines where like they just suddenly will run into the middle of another thing that's going on, and they're like, what? What was that? Like, but yeah, I do like that structure where it's these two plots that only kind of intersect at the end. Also, I'll say, it's funny, when you mention that in Avatar, where you're like, I always read the wraparound stuff, I always forget that this film does not just end with them, like, killing Hitler in the movie theater. That it becomes this whole other thing of, is, like, Hans going to just, like, yeah, evade kind of meaningful justice for what's happened yeah oh man i kind of wish weirdly enough i kind of wish we got more of like the bastards in the movie i feel like they're like really like a couple scenes and like the thing is i don't know if i would i wouldn't want to trade anything for it but i feel like you could probably make this movie like a little bit longer just to have like more scenes with them um guys really i really i think they're like i think they're kind of neat i like them yeah, Rap Hits fun. Like it, uh, it's like film filmmaker Eli Roth, who's made the like Hostel films and just this stuff, plays the role of uh, the Bear Jew, just the baseball bat guy. Yeah, just beats him to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, I was yeah, I was trying to figure out because I I heard that name before and I was like, who uh, Eli Roth? And I was like, who is that? I, mean, I don't know if we I don't think we've covered any of his movies. I don't think we have. Yeah, um, it's, he does not make very commercial films that like are would make it on the MTV ones. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the House with a Clock in as Walls, which is actually a PG and stuff, in, or, or maybe the Death Wish remake. But God, he. Is I have some friends that I like enjoy his work. Um, he's literally I work. It's all definitely a bit. Many of his films are too much for me, who tends to have a high tolerance for that kind of like cynical nihilism thing. But I think he's good here um, as an actor, and it's just funny to have him pop up. Um, it's funny that B J Novak is here. Just, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. This film, like, just, I know, it is a film that I think a lot of people consider to be one of Tarantino's best, and definitely, I probably have a couple films about it, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might be my favorite Tarantino, but after that, this could be up there, like, I think it's really well constructed, and as much as it's like, okay, yeah, we get it, buddy. You you can make your little alternate history film where Hitler gets killed in 1944. It is just, like, really rousing and satisfying, especially when the little film is playing, because, yeah, playing when Shoshan has been, like, dead for, like, a few minutes already. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of like, it is, I really do, um, I feel like I've seen, like, little clips of, uh, interviews with like tarantino that he kind of likes his movies that they kind of like take like slightly unexpected turns a little bit and like characters die that you wouldn't think would die in like a in like a more generic movie um yeah i think 
it's one of those things where it's a little bit of a double-edged sword where like where you're watching a tarantino movie you kind of expect these things now you can't do something forever without it becoming predictable but it makes it like a nice little refreshing thing and like i kind of like his i kind of like his uh his ethos or whatever his thing about he only wants to make like 10 movies that way you have like a nice complete set um i think that's pretty neat and this is definitely definitely way up there Uh, i definitely i think i also would put um uh once upon a time in hollywood above this one um yeah no this one is but this one is so 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 solid yeah, we'll see how I feel when we like rewatch Django in a couple weeks. Yeah, another really, really good one where Christopher Waltz on the other oh, side of the. Weirdly, Christopher Waltz did not get Best Breakout Star nomination. Weird, huh? Yeah, I guess maybe I feel like for his character, maybe Best Villain is probably the only category you want to put him in. Um, you know, you don't, you maybe don't want a Nazi winning any other category. Um, yeah, but, but, yeah, but, but like, when I'm looking at this list of like best breakout stars, like Anna Kendrick, sure, yeah, Zach Galifianakis, sure, yeah, Chris Pine, sure, yeah, and then people like they're all from Precious, you're like, yeah, but like Logan Lerman from Percy Jackson <laughs> and the Lightning Thief, yeah, Quentin Aaron from The Blind Side, like, just though we also have the benefit of knowing yeah. that Christoph Waltz has had a significantly more varied career yeah. than I really do, but... Yeah, hindsight, you know? Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, so, do we have anything else to say on Inglorious Fast? Oh, let me see. No? Just, like, a really, a really, really good movie. Like, very, like... It sort of has its, like, three main people, like Christoph Waltz and, um the french girl um shoshana yeah uh played by uh melina laurent 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 or loren who's french uh probably loren yeah they always cut off the last uh last letter um and then brad not a lot of hard t's not a lot um yeah those kind of they're just like all yeah they're all just really really charming i like the the little voice Brad Pitt is putting on is very, very fun. Um, yeah, just like, just a neat one. Yeah, you love a, you know, just a, just a fun, fun romp, you know. And I, my only thing is that I wish there was just more time with the bastards themselves. I feel like I don't know a lot about each of them. You know, I really only know about like Brad Pitt and Eli Roth, and then other than that, honestly, they all kind of seem pretty interchangeable. So that'd be my one thing. Yeah. But I feel like the movie had other priorities going on. Like, I feel like I wouldn't want to take out that scene where like all those people get shot in like the in like that little underground bar thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really that's just like a really fun scene. That's just like very again very tense, very like uh, but just just fun. Um. So now the time has come to rank these movies. Um. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so for me, these movies, I think, so at the bottom, I think I have the hangover. Um, I really do want to watch the third one just to wash my, wash my hangover palette. Cause I, I remember finding so much stuff about this movie is funny. Like even after I watched it the first time when I was like 13 or something. Uh, and then above that one, I probably have Harry Potter. Um, 
I feel like I'm put so it's gonna be Harry Potter than Alice in Wonderland, but I feel like you could probably switch those two around. It's probably just because Alice in Wonderland is a little more novel right now because I had not seen it in so long and I had seen this specific Harry Potter movie no less than a year ago. Um, so that's that's probably why it's a little higher, at least right now. Um, but and also there are just things about Alice in Wonderland that I find really neat. Like maybe if the Harry Potter movies had a dog that had a wife and kids um and maybe it does too i haven't read the books uh it might be a little bit higher uh and then for my top two it's really really tough and i feel like i'm gonna have to put inglorious bastards above avatar so inglorious bastards my top with avatar below um again it might just be a similar thing that uh inglorious bastards was like a new experience and avatar was like a familiar one uh because i had seen it recently uh but just i don't know my gut feeling right now is that i i would put that one above above the uh avatar and how about um, yours yeah so the bottom alice in wonderland just yeah i don't know bad movie then above that the hangover um a, a good film i enjoy but yeah just let's not age that well and i do not regret not seeing it in theaters that time i was excited to and then was told i couldn't um then above that, Harry, yeah, yeah, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, like, definitely a film I enjoyed a lot more than I was expecting to, and yeah, just a lot of fun. Then above that, Inglorious Bastards, which would have been the top spot, except I just had to finally see Avatar in theaters, and... Yeah, just took my breath away. So Avatar gets that top spot, but Inglorious Bastards also just really, really great. But how did the villains do? Uh, I feel like villains are very similar. Um, I think at the bottom again, I have uh, Hangover. Um, yeah, again, just like just not very funny in this movie. Not a lot of scenes, and the scenes were just not utilized very well. Um, like I. I found the wedding singer at the end more funny than all of his other scenes combined. And I feel like, you know, watching the third one that would probably like flip, he'd probably be super funny. And then above that one, I have Harry Potter. Um, I just, I, I don't know. Draco Malfoy is just like, I feel like Harry Potter has so many like good, cool villains. And I feel like Draco Malfoy is just kind of like, he's like a good, like, like school rival type kind of character, but like, Eh, just doesn't really do it for me. Maybe if he, maybe if he was in like leather pants or something. Um, right smack dab in the middle, I do have uh, Avatar. Just like a super, like, not super deep, not super like, doesn't, you know, doesn't like, you know, meaningfully, you know, not a great, end, no, not a great, like, meaningful challenge or anything to like, um, in like ideas. He's more very simple, but that's sometimes all you want in a movie like this. Um, it's just it's just more more representation of you know the industrial military complex than than anything else which is what maybe you want uh and then for my top two uh i would have uh alice in wonderland's red queen and then above that i do have christoph waltz um both of them are just fun i feel like i feel like the villains this week aren't weren't the strongest mainly because a lot of the movies didn't dedicate a lot of time to them but i feel like the movie that did dedicate probably the two movies that I feel like dedicated the most time to them are in the top two. Um, and yeah, I feel like the red queen just maybe could have had like, 
maybe a few more like i don't know funny scenes maybe like show her like actually taking off a head of one of the frogs or something just something you know yeah yeah well i'll say you might be a bit more generous to the villains of this week once you see some of the villains of next week but um for now at the bottom yeah the hangover like it's three scenes they're not that good like Leslie Chow is definitely a better character in part two and part three. Um, but I do get why he's here. He was kind of the breakout character. Um, well, him and Galathinakis. Then above that, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, it's, you know, Tom Felton's good. He's got a nice glower going on, but just not really villainy. Um, yeah, he... Like, it does not, it's not a dismissal to say he won because he had the biggest, like, fan base, because that's what happened, and that's how these award shows work, and that's fine, because now we are here to kind of set the record straight on who really should have won. It's the premise. Oh. <laughs> and about that, Alice in Wonderland, Helena El- Bonham Carter really elevating things, the design on her character is interesting, and that's about it. Then about then above that, for my top two, uh, this time Avatar takes second spot. Like, I'm not gonna say that Stephen Lang's, like, Mile Quaritch is a better character than Hans Landa, because he isn't. But he has a lot of presence and charisma, and really elevates, like, the classic archetype of super macho guy into something that's really watchable. And I'm excited to see where he takes it in the sequel. But that top spot, again, Christoph Waltz, like, this really is three years in a row of kind of the most iconic villains of the two thousand sort of like you know sort of be- beginning in two thousand eight with like No Country for Old Men, carrying to the Dark Knight, and now here we go with like Hans Landa, who is just really despicable and evil and just incredibly compelling to watch. So, yeah. That about does it for Best Villain 2010. Um, now we come to Recommendation of the Week. So, oh. What do you got this week, Ben? Oh, man. Have you thought of this at all? No, not even a little bit. Um, oof. I'm trying to think. Hmm. Um, you you go first, and I'll, I'll think about mine. Great. Mine is pretty easy. Uh. Mine is Steven Spielberg's latest film, The Fablemans, which I believe is probably still out in a few theaters, but it's not done well theatrically, but also it's not promoted very well as a movie. I think it's also now out on digital, and basically The Fablemans, if you're unfamiliar, is it is essentially Steven Spielberg telling his own story, the story of how he became interested in film, and the story of his parents' divorce, which haunts so many of his films, is like particularly close encounters of the third kind. So it's about this guy, Sammy Fableman, and the opening scene is the thing of like his parents taking him to see this movie, The Greatest Show on Earth, him seeing this big play, like train crash in it, and just kind of being terrified. And his movie making kind of starts in a way of him trying to recreate that train crash and control it. And it's like a story of a guy like 
discovering he has this talent that he only kind of understands, and that's really compelling. And then there's a lot of great stuff of his family, like Seth Rogen does like a really good supporting performance on it, on like his dad's best friend who may or may not be in like in love with like the the mom and I'll say, Penn, there is, like, a bit of, like, the dynamic between his dad, who is the Riddler himself, Paul Dano, and Seth Rogen, where I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be me and Ben someday. <laughs> like, the opening is, like, Paul Dano comes in, and he's like, oh, uh, I got the dinner, and then, like, Seth Rogen ca- comes in, Carrie, and Paul Dano's character is a mother, he's like, I got Mrs. Fableman, where do you want her? And she's like, put that down. I'm like, oh, no, better I would do that. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, but it's just truly like a great movie. It's a film where I'm like, this is one of the best movies I'd ever seen three times before we even got to the halfway point. Um, and it's just really special. And I think everyone should try and see it. So yeah. Uh, do you have something now, Ben? Oh man. Um, oh, I just haven't, I haven't been watching or doing a lot. I've been really busy. Um, I guess since, uh, I think I talked about it a little bit. Um, like many episodes ago, uh, but Bayonetta three came out and I played it and beat it. And I guess I can recommend that. I really enjoyed it. Um, the story was as stupid as ever and the gameplay was as strong as ever. Um, yep, definitely, definitely a fun, fun game. Had very high expectations for it. And the parts where it disappointed were the parts I don't really care about, (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, great. And do you have anything you want to plug at this time? Yeah. Uh, as always, my Twitter is uh, Gak Gak. You probably know the spelling already. Um, and then you can uh, in the description there is my link tree, uh, which uh, is also just uh, L I N K T R dot E E slash G H A K K E R. Wow. Finally going all in on it. Um, cool. So, for me, I am on Twitter as Like a Wolverine, and also on Letterboxd at Like a Wolverine. Um, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Pass the Golden Popcorn. You can email us at Pass the Golden Popcorn at gmail.com. Uh, our theme song is by Matt Samard. Our artwork is by Ben. We are hosted on Friendly Mush. If you like the podcast, uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, tell all your friends, uh, get them to listen, and all that's left to do. And I know last week I'm like, oh no, we need it out of order, but I'm like, no wait, we do end with this after all the little thank yous. Just to tell you what's coming up for Best Villain 2011. So, for 2011, the nominees are Ned Beatty, Toy Story 3, Leighton Meester, The Roommate, Mickey Rourke, Iron Man 2, Christoph Waltz, The Green Hornet, and the winner, Tom Felton in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1. Oh so, man, yeah, it's... The, that's the one where a good chunk of them is just in like a weird forest. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, again... <laughs> I think one of the better Harry Potters just because it's such a big break from the structure and but as you'll recall Tom Felton is barely in that film 
And not yeah. even, like, just a Mr. Chow three scenes thing. Like, it's... He pops up just for a sequence at the end of the movie, so... Yeah, man. Know. Man, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows really getting nominated for odd things. For a weird kiss and a weird villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, thanks for listening, everybody, and keep passing that golden popcorn. And just remember, I see you. Metaphor. I hear you. Like, after C in here, it just gets a lot... I guess I smell you, let's be okay. Yeah. I was gonna go, I touch you, I'm like, no way. No. That would be bad. Ah, <laughs> oh, alright. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.